Hello and welcome to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for joining me again for another podcast. Well, I'd like to thank you all for sticking around and listening. I think I've recorded about 20, maybe more. It's been a while. I try to do them every week. I've missed one week that I know for sure. But uh, let's get into this. Uh, let's, let's talk. Let's learn some more stuff. And we'll go from there. So... One of the things I know that I've noticed as I watch my Facebook, and that is, uh, I noticed this problem when I was working in the comedy business, when I was a manager at Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club, and even when I was starting out as a young comic. A lot of the people that I worked with were much younger than I was. I was already in my 50s when I was working at the club, and now I'm 60. And I still have a lot of these same friends on Facebook, and I see them doing the same things they've always been doing. The One of the first and foremost is that all of them consume some sort of energy drink. Red Bull, 5-Hour Energy, Monster, all those things. Uh, I personally have never had one. My energy drink is coffee. Maybe a Coke every now and then to pick me back up. But I see these people drinking Red Bulls all the time. In the morning, when they come to work, when they leave for work, during work, you know, there's just, it's just Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull, you know. And the, the odd part about it is all of these people are in their 20s, maybe their early 30s. You don't need energy. You've got plenty. But I hear the same complaint, I'm so tired. I can't, uh, yeah, because you know why you're tired? Because you work, you go home, and you stay up to 3, 4 in the morning, and then you got to be at work at 8 o'clock the next day. Go to sleep. When you get home, it's called discipline. You get home, you go to bed, you get up at a decent hour, and you go to work. You don't need an energy drink in the morning. You don't need to put that transmission fluid in your system. It's bad for you. It will kill you. So in another 10, 15 years, when your doctor says you've got stomach cancer or you've got intestinal cancer you've got colon cancer guess what guess who that was courtesy of Red Bull and good luck trying to sue the company because they've got everybody hooked that's not a good product to be drinking but you guys don't care because you think you know better and I was the same way when I was in my 20s I was going to live forever now that I'm 60 I'm like damn I made it to 60 so what's next you got to stop doing the stuff. It's not good for you. I'm serious. I know what I'm telling you. You got to stop. The, lay off the Red Bull. Lay off the energy drinks. You know, eat a decent meal every now and then. Quit staying out late. You know, I don't know what it is you're trying to prove that you stay out late and you work. Oh, and then you probably have four or five kids that you're trying to raise. And let me, let me take an odd guess that you're not really doing a good job of, of any of those things. Maintaining your job. Or raising your kids. Look, I'm not telling people how to live. But I'm going to tell you how to live. Because you're not living. You're existing. There's a difference. When you have to get up. And I see you reach. Or you, you say, let's go to a convenience store. And I'm going in to grab a snack. You're getting a Red Bull because you need a charge. That's not a good thing. You're 23 years old. You should have enough spunk to light up a small city. I know I did. You know what? 
when I was tired, I slept. When I was hungry, I ate. That's the way it should work. Yeah, I've had my days. I was up several times. One time I was up for 36 hours. My record is 96 hours, four and a half days. Or, yeah, close to four days. I was in the Navy at the time, and it was part of the job. Sometimes you just didn't get a chance to sleep. Ask anybody who's been in the military. They'll tell you they've had days where they spent 24, 36, 48 hours, 72 hours up and awake and alert because they had to be because it was a matter of life or death. So when you go reaching for that Red Bull because you need energy, you don't need any goddamn energy. You've got enough energy as it is. Use it. Make use of it. Do the right thing. Put the can down and go and get a glass of water. That's what you need better than anything else. You know... Kidney disease is one of the highest. It's, it's, it's soon going to outpace cancer, I'm pretty sure, the way it's growing. Because when I sit in that clinic, I see five to ten new faces a week. That tells me there's a lot of people that are sick with diabetes that didn't manage it well, and now they're on dialysis. I'm one of them. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, know what, I know I've done this to myself. I'm not going to lie to me or anybody else, but this is my situation. I'm trying to get you to benefit from my uh, fallbacks. So leave the Red Bull alone. Try water. It's good for you. And you know what? If you think water sucks, well, okay, that's fine. I'll give you that much. But uh, how about trying the uh, pH balanced water? That's what I buy. I don't really drink very much tap water. I buy my water from a place called Viva H2O. And it's... Uh, treated water they 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 filter all the impurities out through reverse osmosis and then they adjust the ph level it's got less ph than tap water and it's a little bit more purer and it's better for you uh my doctors though have said that they really don't see the, the difference in that kind of water versus regular tap water but you know i think it tastes a little bit better than water i like it so i'm gonna keep using it it's only dollar fifty a gallon you know, that's cheaper than, than a gallon of gas. But the rest of you need to eat a little bit more decently. And if you're a fat body, guess what? Lay off the Red Bull, eat a decent meal, and you'll probably find that you'll lose some weight. And you'll probably live a little bit longer. But you know what? Go ahead and keep stuffing your face with the pizza and the Red Bull because, hey, I'll be gone by the time you're in my shoes and you're getting hooked up to a machine to filter and cleanse your blood. So good luck with all that. All I'm saying is just lay off the damn Red Bull. There's no need for it. There's no reason for you to be there isn't there is it's not like a Coke. Where a Coke is refreshing, a Coke takes the edge off your thirst and it replenishes a little bit of sugar that your body could use anyway. Energy drinks, there's I guarantee you, open a Red Bull if you've never had one. Pour it into glass. It looks like transmission fluid. It does. It literally looks like trans, like transmission fluid, and it's almost about the same viscosity. And by that, I mean the same kind of oiliness. And you can't tell me that it tastes good. I mean, I've smelled the cans. It doesn't appeal to me. Maybe it's because I'm an old guy. But hey, I've already been in your shoes. So you should kind of give me a little bit benefit of the doubt that I know what I'm talking about I've been in your shoes and at some point some of you are going to be in my shoes and you're going to think back to this moment and say yep old Ben-Hur told me about that but now here I am getting a couple of big ass needles stuck in my arm and hooking me up to this machine 
said such is my life well that guess that was a hell of a way to get started on this segment it's about taking care of yourself I told you the story about the the $1,800 steak that cost me two teeth and uh, a lot of pain take care of your health Get out and walk with your dog every now and then. You know, do you have to park so close to the HEB? Park a little bit farther away and, and walk the difference. Or forget something every now and then at the HEB that you got to walk all the way across the store to, to get it, to get back, get back to where you were before. You're going to find, if you have a, a walking uh, app, that you can walk. And an HEB, you can put on a good two miles easy. Of buying just buying your groceries I know because I have a walking app that monitors the same thing and the last time I went to HEB I logged 1.5 miles simply because the HEBs are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and uh, so your dental health watch out for it brush your teeth floss your teeth take care of your teeth um uh, Everything else, your physical, your men, your mental health, take care of it. Your physical health, take care of it. Your emotional health, take care of it. <clears throat> and everything else in between, you'll you'll live a lot longer and you'll be a lot happier. I guarantee you. I guarantee it. So, I guess the reason this all came about because I was watching my Facebook and I saw this one gal. Stuff in her face with something sweet, which is okay. She's thin as a board. She could use the, the, the calories. But then I saw her wash it down with it looked like a, a keg of Red Bull. The thing was huge. Now, why you need that much Red Bull, I do not know. Because then 30 minutes later, you're buying another one because the first one wore off. Because your body doesn't need energy. It's got enough. You just got to learn how to channel it. That's the only thing. You don't have the skills. You've lost the skills because nobody taught you. That's the other problem. Most of the people out running around out there have never been taught the basic life skills that I have. I had to learn them because, you know, when you went out in the world, you were on your own. You had to learn how to clean for yourself, cook for yourself, shop for yourself. And now they're arguing over people that are still on their parents' insurance at the age of 26. Once you turn 18, you should either be in the military or you should be in the workforce. You shouldn't be at home living off mom or dad, you know, selling weed and playing your video games all day long. Got to get your ass up and out and get in that workforce. That's the only way that's going to work for you. That's the only way you're going to make anything of yourself, good or bad. You can't just sell the weed. It's not, it's not going to get you anywhere, you know. And I know a lot of people that sell weed and they spend half their life looking over their shoulder. That's not a life. You're, you're a slave to a drug. And then you hear the Democrats talking about wanting to legalize it uh, if they get elected. Well, it just gets crazier and crazier. Well, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. So, who knows? Lay off the Red Bull. Lay off. Eat a good meal. Eat a salad every now and then. Eat a little fish. Eat a little meat. Some chicken. 
don't have to be eating hamburgers all the time or hanging out at gyms. You don't. You don't. But you know what? You live your life as best you can. But remember, at some point down the road, you're going to pay for it just like I am. Trying to, I'm trying to give you a word of caution so you can avoid a little bit of heartache in your older age. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thanks for listening. Stick around. we got more stuff coming at you. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. And why am I playing the NFL theme song? Well, because I have a little a little something to tell you. You might not like this. It was a sad Sunday for football, especially if you're a fan of America's team, Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott suffered a debilitating injury in the third quarter of the game with the New York Giants. Uh, it was third quarter. The Cowboys were trailing, and uh, Dak Prescott took the ball and uh, decided to run it. It was going to be a quarterback draw, and as he goes about almost 10 yards, almost made the first down. I don't know if he, I don't remember if he did or he didn't. Well, he, he tried to do the hook slide that all quarterbacks do to protect themselves. Got caught up with one of the defense defensive backs who was trying to tackle him but not trying to tackle him. And their legs got crossed up. When Dak rolled over, he was in extreme pain, and his ankle was at a 90-degree angle from where it should have been. It was pointing way too much to the right. And so the whole stadium went silent. And they had to bring out the cart to load Dak up. And amid cheering crowd, cheering crowds and cheering team, and uh, he was wheeled off to the back to get checked out. It's a sad thing when this happens in football. It does happen because it's a very physical sport. Men get hurt. And sometimes men suffer debilitated injuries. This could be one of them. I wish him the best. I hope it's not too bad, but you never know these things. So uh, later on, they take him to the hospital. And they get him checked out. And they immediately take him in for surgery. He has a compound fracture of the, of the right leg and a dislocated ankle, which is why the ankle was twisted out to the right so far. Dak was in a lot of pain. You could see it on his face as he tried himself to snap his foot back into place, but it wasn't budging. Ankle's a very tricky joint, if you know anything about the human anatomy. So uh, they put him in surgery to fix the, the fracture and, and, and reset the ankle. And uh, the word has it that he's at home. He's, he's already out of the hospital. He's at home resting, recovering, recuperating. And the fate of the Dallas Cowboys is up in the air. The backup quarterback, uh, Andrew Dalton, I think that's his name, Andrew Dalton or Eric Dalton, is going to take over for now. And they're probably in no negotiations for another 
insurance policy in the quarterback slot. Uh, they think Dak will come back for next year. He's done for this season. The season's over for him. Uh, he's going to be out four to six months, which puts him at about uh, April, May. And the season will be over by then. So we're looking to spring now. We're looking to, to, to next next summer's mini camps and whatnot to see how he does. So the entire season is up up in the air. We don't know. I mean, the the, the backup quarterback is pretty. He's not a shed too shabby. I mean, he he helped he helped them win the game after all, the thirty four to thirty seven. But it's an interesting thing because I'm going to talk about another quarterback. If you remember back, if you're as old as I am, if you go back to 1985, it was a November night, Monday night football. Once again, it was two NFC East rivals confronting each other, much like the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. And once again, the New York Giants were involved in this one. Sound familiar? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It was Monday night football in 1985 in November. It was the Washington Redskins versus the New York Giants at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C., or wherever RFK Stadium is. So, once again, Joe Theismann's trying to takes a snap, takes three steps back, and plants his right foot to throw the ball. He's looking for a receiver. He's looking out toward his left, trying to find a receiver. If he had just glanced right, he would have seen Lawrence Taylor charging like a bull coming towards him. Joe Theismann never saw him. Lawrence Taylor wrapped himself around Joe Theismann and knocked him to the ground. What nobody really noticed until Joe Theismann tried to get up, when Lawrence Taylor rolled off of Joe Theismann, his right leg was at a 90-degree angle from where he should have, where it should have been. It was a very horrifying event. And the thing I remember the most about that hit was watching Lawrence Taylor run into the sidelines, his his head on his helmet, in the agony of what he just did to that man. He ruined his career. Joe Theismann never set foot on a football field again in uniform to play as a participant. He later he went on to become a, a commentator and a color man, and he still does this to this day. Uh, you'll see him on CBS and NBC, and and. Uh, He's none the worse for wear, but his injury was so severe that he could not come back. Now, uh, Dak's injury is quite as debilitating, but here's the thing. In 1985, Joe Theismann was 31. Dak Prescott is 27. So there's about a four-year difference in their ages. So I'm not saying that, that Joe Theismann wasn't in great shape, but, you know, Dak has youth on his side, and the fact that he's a, an athlete in, in top condition also helps I don't doubt we're not going to see Dak ever again on the field Um, but this is the nature of the beast there was another quarterback that I saw in the highlights and they mentioned him because of of Dak and I forget the team that he plays for but he also had his leg broken during a regular season game I think when he played with the Cleveland Browns and he came back and now he's the starting quarterback for his team. And they just recently won their game on Sunday, and uh, was to his credit. But broken bones go back a long way. Uh, I remember 
back in the day when Los Angeles was in, in uh, or the Rams were in Los Angeles before they went to Anaheim and then St. Louis and then back to Los Angeles. This was back in the 70s. There were two brothers that played for the Los Angeles Rams. They were the Youngblood brothers, Jake and Jack Youngblood. These were two of the most terrifying defensive backs in, in the NFL at that time. These guys were just devastating. One day, during a, a, a regular season Sunday game, Jack Youngblood was playing his position, took a hit to the leg, and continued to play. The doctors, he complained of, of, of a soreness in the leg at, at one point, so the doctors took him to the back and said, Jack, your leg is broken. He goes, okay, well, tape me up because I'm getting back out there. And they're like, Jack, did you hear what we said? Your leg is broken. He goes, well, the bone's not sticking out and there's no blood, so just tape me up and let me get back out there. So the doctors did what he asked. They taped him heavily, and he got back on the field and finished the game with a broken leg. Some, some injuries are much more debilitating than others. Um, I doubt Dak would have wanted to, I mean, he tried to get up on the leg, but he, there was nothing he could do. He knew that. So it was just better off for him to, to sit there and just wait for the doctors. Even the coach, the head coach of the, that New York Giants, Jason Garrett, who had just been fired the year before by the Dallas Cowboys as their head coach, went over to, co to comfort and console Dak. Because, I mean, he knew him. I mean, when he was the head coach of the Cowboys, I mean, he knew him intimately. So that's, I just think, good sportsmanship. So we say goodbye to Dak for the rest of this season. And uh, hopefully they will do well the rest of the season. And uh, see how this goes. You know, go Cowboys. And we will just go from there. This is the nature of the beast when it comes to football. You just never know how the game is going to be played out until it gets played out. So, you know, we watch as fans. God damn. I hope you didn't hear that. I'm sorry. And, uh... Just hope for the best. So, to Dak Prescott, I say speedy recovery and get back to health and your form, and we'll see what we can do next year. You'll come back better and faster and hopefully stronger. And for the rest of the Dallas Cowboys, I hope we get to the playoffs this season, I don't know. Well, we've got more stuff coming at you. Thank you for listening to the Chairland Chronicles, this NFL edition. Thanks for sticking around. 
Hey, you're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And that little ditty was an old, old song by a guy named Oliver. Good morning, starshine. What do you like to greet yourself with in the morning? Something good, something happy, something positive. You know, most of you get up and you have a good breakfast with a nice glass of orange juice, a couple of fried eggs, some bacon, toast, coffee. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to clinic. And this happened to me today on Monday. I go to clinic. I get actually taken in early on a Monday, which was amazing to me. I got hooked up by at 5.35. I was already on the machine. So I knew I was going to be done by 9.30. Um, because I had my colon removed 10 years ago, my... My bowel movements are... I try to be as regular as I can, but sometimes I just can't control them. And so by 6.30, I had the first rumblings that I had to go. But I try to wait it out because sometimes it's just gas. And I, I if I can hold out, you know, I hold out. But like uh, by 7 o'clock, I was like, yeah, I can't. I got, I got to go. So... Um, I tell my technician, yeah, who's coming, just coming by to check on me. I said, hey, Mario, I got to go. You know, so he said, okay. So he set the machine up to turn to get me off so I could go to the restroom. And uh, he gets me disconnected, does a blood pressure check, and then he, t- he turns me loose. So I go to the restroom. The only restroom that we have in, in the facility for 25 people on dialysis and to be perfectly honest, most people have no problem uh, holding it because they're normal. Most of them haven't lost their colon like I have. There's one other guy, Mr. Carpenter, who's still on a colostomy bag, so he never has to go to the restroom because he just shits in a little plastic bag. I've been there. I lived like that for six months. Anyway, so I'm going to the restroom. Now, I have a habit of knocking simply because you don't know who's going to be in there. And so I knocked, knock, knock. I opened the door. Now the door, the restroom at that facility has a light that comes on when the, when the door's open. But the light was already on. Okay, it, sometimes somebody, it, it stays on for a few minutes after the last person leaves. So I uh, push the door open. And uh, much to my surprise, there's a naked man sitting on the toilet and looks at me in horror and, uh, hey, I'm in here. Those were his exact words. Hey, I'm in here. And I was like, uh, duh, I can see that. You know, you're, you're not, you didn't surprise me. So, I'm psyched. I, I tell him, hey, sorry about that. So I'm closing the door, and I said, hey, by the way, next time lock the door, man. You know, you're not at home. Because it, it upset me a little bit. I don't like the idea of seeing a, a naked man sitting on a, on a public toilet at 7 o'clock in the morning. That's not my idea of fun. It doesn't bother me because I was in the Navy. I served on a submarine, so I've seen naked men all the time especially on the toilet because we shared a common head. So it was never out of out of nature to see a naked guy stroll in there and stroll out. You know, no biggie. So I close the door. 
and I go to the other restroom out in the waiting room. Now, here's here's the thing. If you work, let's say you're the facility administrator for a dialysis clinic, or you're going to build a new one or design a new one, you should design it with at least two restrooms for males and females with several toilets and urinals for men, you know, I guess women don't need urinals. Um, so it's simply because in this facility, when they built the building, they never said, hey, what if they put a dialysis clinic here? No, they don't think about that. They, they, they had other uses for it. You know, I don't know what the building, what the clinic was before I came along because they had just opened last January. So we're going on a year and, uh, I guess that's that's something the doctors don't think about because, hey, you know, most dialysis patients don't use the restroom, but sometimes we do. Example, I was in my chair two weeks ago, and once again, I had to go. So I had already told my technician, and they're disconnecting me, but I noticed that my chairmate next, next to me on my left, Mr. Queen, is getting disconnected also. And I'm like, oh, I think he's got to go to the restroom too. So we both get up at the same time, and we're making our way to the restroom. He said, and he told me, you got to go to the restroom. And I said, yes, sir, I am. Let's go. So as soon as we got to the restroom, I put my hand on the door. I was first, and it's locked. Thank God somebody was in there. Then this woman walks up, and she goes, are you in line for the restroom? And we said, yeah. So I said, okay, somebody's got to take charge. What are you two going for? Number one, number two. The lady said, I'm going number one. And the man said, I'm going number one. I got I to gotta pee. I said, okay, I got to go number two, so I'll go last. You guys take care of your business first. I can wait. I can hold it. So then I hear a voice behind me, and it's somebody's talking to me, and it's the nurse, and it's the doctor making his rounds. And she's got the tablet in her hands, and the nurse says, oh, he's in line for the restroom. So the doctor greets me, and he goes, hey, Mr. Hernandez, how are you doing? I said, okay, doc. He goes, is there anything, because he knew we were in a hurry. He says, is there anything you need? I said, other than needing to use the restroom, no, I'm good. So he got a big laugh out of that, and uh, he moved on. So eventually, I got my, my turn at the toilet, took care of business, went back and sat down. But this is the thing. There's a guy... I call him the Frito Bandito because he would come in every day and open a big bag of Fritos and stink up the whole clinic and just eat them. Well, number one, it's not something they want us eating, especially in that large a quantity at 9 o'clock in the morning, which is the time he gets there. The second thing about this guy, and, and, and as I've talked to my other chairmates, he's one person that nobody likes. Simply because he's just an arrogant, complaining old man who wants to eat Fritos and do what he wants to do. And he wants to tell the, the, the technicians and the nurses how he wants his treatment to go. And you don't make that, that, that call. The doctors make that call. So, anyway. The Frito Bandito. Nobody likes him, number one. Number two, he is a pig. Um... One day, I went to the restroom. I, I would always try to go to the restroom at 8.30 because that was usually my halfway point. And then I could do the other two hours standing on my head, you know, and I can go, come to home and go to the bathroom here. So 
I went at 8.30. When I went in at 8.30, the restroom was clean. There was a way I saw it at 5.30 in the morning when I go and take my, my first bathroom break before they hooked me up. So the restroom was clean at 8.30 when I used it. And I left it that way, you know. I, I clean up after myself. I'm a grown-ass man, so that's what I do. So I go back... After, no, no, no. It was this one day I didn't go at 8.30. I just waited... And so I waited until my chair time was done, and then I went. And this guy would come in at 9 o'clock, because that's his chair time. And he was going, he'd sit down, and he'd put his, his little bag of stuff down, and then they would do his first standing blood pressure. Then he would go to the, that was his routine, he would go to the restroom. And I went to the restroom, after, and, I, and I watched the door. I, I watched this place, because I want to see who does what, because people are very predictable. The, the thing about people is the things we do, and the times that we do them because we're all creatures of habit. You watch. Watch people. You'll see that they do the same thing every day at the same time. Creatures of habit. Your dog does the same thing every day at the same time because creatures of habit. Dogs, cats, everybody does it. Birds, creatures of habit. So, I went into the restroom after he had gone in. Nobody else had been there but him at 9 o'clock when I walked into that restroom oh my god there's toilet paper strewn everywhere like like he was having a, a toilet paper party like he was he was toilet paper in somebody's house water all over the deck like he was, took a, he took a bath or he washed his, his ass or something I don't know and then he disgustingly leaves it as is for the next person and that's very disrespectful to us because we all have to use that restroom and we all ha should keep it clean and so I finally had enough of it and I complained and I, and I, told, I told the person like I was complaining to do me a favor go and look at the restroom at 8.30 and you're going to see that it's fine and then go after he goes in and you see, the, you see the, what I'm talking about that's unacceptable you're not at home. And then I thought to myself, my God, if he's like this at home, I cannot imagine what his house must, must look like inside. There's probably empty Frito wrappers everywhere, toilet paper strewn across the, the sofa. I, I don't even want to think about how he lives because he's a friggin' pig. And that's just disgusting for the rest of us. This is, these are the kind of people that bring COVID in and get everybody else sick. You know, these idiots. So... That was my good morning America moment when I walk in on it. And here's the other thing about I always thought it was a myth. I always thought, honestly, that I was the only one that liked to get naked and sit on my toilet and take a dump. Obviously not. Because this guy was sitting there naked on the toilet. He had his shorts folded up on his knee along with his shirt. And he was taking a dump. Butt ass naked. And I was like, you know what? If you want to do that at home, fine. Don't do it here because, you know, what if you have a heart attack on the toilet? What if you have a stroke on the toilet? That's how they. That's how you want to be found? Naked with your clothes neatly folded on your knee? Come on, give me a break. If I'm out in public, I don't take my clothes off. I just take off what I need to take off to get business taken care of. But when I'm at home, oh, yeah. I'll get butt-ass naked to get on the toilet because this is my home. I can go anywhere I want. So, 
it was one of those mornings where you actually say, Biddy boop boopy, nibby nobby nooby, la 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 lo lo. Oh my god. Good morning, Starshine. The earth does say hello. All right, you've been listening to the Cheerland Chronicles and my rant and raving about bathroom procedures. Stick around. We got more stuff coming at you because I, I guarantee you tomorrow's Wednesday and I guarantee you more stuff is probably going to happen that I can report on. Stick around. We'll be right back. Good evening. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, this will probably be the closing episode or closing segment for this episode. Um, and the reason I'm doing this is because uh, I was going through my Facebook yesterday and one of my old comic friends decided to do a video on his Facebook about an old San Antonio legend and I was very disappointed after I saw it because the video he's trying to tell you the story about an old San Antonio legend and I'll get to the story in a minute but uh, he didn't know the story for one and that's sort of his his trouble all along. He tries to tell stories and just doesn't know the, the, the correct story or the way it should be told. So then he's interviewing other people who think they may have heard the story and then they tell you what they thought it went and it was just a mishmash of very inaccurate information. So I thought I would take the opportunity since we're so close to Halloween and tell you the story of El Camaroncito. El Camaroncito is an old dance hall. It still exists in San Antonio. It uh, sits on the west side of San Antonio on West Commerce. It's still there to this day. It's empty. It's unused. It's abandoned, waiting for the right people to take it over and make a business out of it. But back in its heyday, the 30s, 40s, it was a dance hall. And um, in that neighborhood lived a very beautiful young woman. And for, for uh, simplicity's sake, we'll just call her Maria. Maria was very beautiful, very shapely, and very attracted uh, to other men. I mean, she, men loved her. She was beautiful. And so she had a big problem. She was very conceited. And she shunned a lot of the men in her neighborhood simply because she felt they were beneath her. But one of the things she liked to do was go to this club called El Camaroncito. Every Saturday night, every Friday, Saturday night, they would have live bands and they would have music. Free people to dance. So she went to the to that club that this particular Saturday night. And of course, all the men wanted to dance with her. And she would turn them down and tell them no. She, they were beneath her and she wasn't going to dance with them. And uh, that's the way the night went. So the men found other women to dance with them and to pass the night. And Maria sat at the bar by herself, 
pining over that one right man that was going to come in and change her life. Little did she know that that opportunity was going to make itself known with very horrifying results. A little time later, a man appeared in the doorway of El Camaroncito. He was dressed in a black pinstripe suit with black wingtip shoes polished to a high shine. He had a large fedora hat, black, which matched his suit, with a big black feather stuck in it. The one thing most people remember about the man was that you could never clearly see his face. Every time you looked at him, it was almost like he was hiding in the shadows, covered by that big black fedora he was wearing. So the man entered into the Camaroncito Club, went up to the bar, and ordered a drink. When Maria saw him, she was enamored of him. She wanted to be his. She wanted to be with him. So she tried everything to get him to dance with her, and he would shun her. And she was practically begging him to dance, and he would not give her the time of day. Maria was devastated. She sat at the end of the bar with her head in her hands on the verge of weeping when she saw a shadow walking up on her. It was the man. And he asked her, get his bailar. Do you want to dance? She took his outstretched hand and walked with him onto the dance floor and proceeded to start dancing. The man was an excellent dancer. He was so light on his feet, he practically flew on the floor as she danced the night away with this man. Then as the night progressed and they were on the dance, they never seemed to stop dancing. She wanted to stop and take rest and he would insist that she dance more. If she wanted to be with him, she needed to dance more. So she would stay on the floor and dance with him. And then little by little, people in the, in the club started to feel faint and sick because the smell of sulfur was in the air. Where did this sulfur come from? Meanwhile, Maria and the strange man continued their passionate dances on the floor, dancing and dancing and spinning her around, and he would spin in midair, it seemed like. And they noticed a cloud of smoke building up from him, from the floor. And at one point, he was so light on his feet, he seemed to be standing five feet in the air, as she watched him as he laid back, as he came back down to the earth and landed on the floor. But what she saw land on the floor were instead of human, human legs, she saw the foot of a goat and the large foot of a chicken, a rooster. And when she looked up, she saw the face that was so well hidden from everyone else. It was the face of the Dark Lord, old Scratch himself. The devil incarnate had come to El Camaroncito Club to find a bride, and he found one by the name of Maria. He whisked Maria up, and on a large cloud of smoke and sulfur, she disappeared into thin air with him, into the night, never to be seen again. What fate, what fate awaited Maria, we do not know. But obviously she was going to dance with the devil for the rest of her, well, for eternity, with the man in red. 
that is a story of El Camaroncito Club. It's still told to this day on dark nights of Halloween when the moon is full to beware the Camaroncito Club because the devil goes there to dance. Now, that is the legend. That is a parable still told today. The parable is not the story did not happen in San Antonio but the Camaroncito Club was a pretty good place to start. It was a very popular night spot in San Antonio back in the day uh, for all Latinos would go there to dance and uh, I'm sure maybe many families were started one night at the Camaroncito Club but the truth of the story is there once was a girl who attended this Camaroncito Club on a Saturday night in the middle of dancing with all the men there a very jilted lover or husband came into the club looking for her he found her dancing with a man he pulled a gun from his trousers and shot both of them and calmly walked out of the club needless to say Maria and her lover died on the dance floor now that's the true story uh, what happened to the husband I'm pretty sure he was arrested later and charged with the murders of Maria and, and her lover or the man she was dancing with sometimes guys it pays not to be in the wrong place at the wrong time so how do I know this I used to work with a man in a restaurant he was our cook and told me he was there that night in the Camarocino Club it was 1936 and he remembers the shooting clear as a bell. Now, what happened afterwards? El Camaroncito went on as a nightclub, and then after a while it fell out of sorts, and then kind of went out of business, and it's been a restaurant, it's been a nightclub, it's been a lot of things, but right now it is empty and haunted from what I hear. People have seen Maria and her lover in the restaurant dancing on the floor. And no one knows if that was her. That is a story. But getting back to the story about the devil, that's a parable. The original story made its way out of old, old Mexico, probably Monterrey or Mexico City itself. But it's a parable that's been told for years, for generations after generations, simply because it's a parable about not to be so conceited, not to be so stuck up. Everybody has a certain amount of value and uh, worth, and you just can't discount it. So, remember the story of El Camaroncito Club, because you never know when the devil's going to show up. And beware, if you can't see their face too clear, or they always seem to be hiding in shadow, even though when they're there in broad in, in, in open light this is just a story but there are some people that actually believe there are people that will say I was there that night and I saw the devil I don't know that's hard for me to swallow I guess you could say but uh, El Camaroncito Club still exists in San Antonio all you have to do is drive out West Commerce uh, I believe it's on West Commerce before you hit 
Oh, what is it? 410. But it's out that way. Go look at it if you take it, if you dare. You know. But a lot of San Antonio's old haunted spots are going by the wayside. And San Antonio has a lot of them. Maybe that'll be the start of the next episode of the Chairland Chronicles. So I'm going to close this episode with that story. And always my customary... uh, Adios. Live your life as if it's your last day on earth, as if the devil came to ask you to dance. Enjoy your life. Revel in it. Live. Laugh at everything around you and all those in the in your life with you. Laugh at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and take a good, hard laugh. And of course, love. Love this beautiful, big world and all the people in it. Try not to hate too much. I know people will piss you off, but you got to love them anyway. Because that's what the Beatles said. Love, love, love. Jesus said it too. Love is all you need. So love everybody. Love yourself. And uh, take care of yourself. Your life is precious. And I want you to continue listening to the Chairland Chronicles. Because my life is precious too and I don't know how much more time I got. So, live, laugh, love. And uh, I will see you next time on the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben-Hur. Keep listening. And look over your shoulder every now and then because there might be somebody behind you.